Stat Media Group delivering logistics news since 1986 This is Cargo Masterminds from Stat Media Group It's Monday and it's time to catch up with our new Cargo Mastermind Hello and welcome to Cargo Masterminds My name is Reggie John On March 19, 2020, a few days after the World Health Organization declared COVID as a pandemic and international borders were shut for all non-essential travel, thus bringing global passenger aviation to a complete halt, Chicago-headquartered United Airlines did something that they had not done for close to 20 years. On that day. United flew its first cargo-only flight from Chicago to Frankfurt in Germany. The leading American carrier had entered its DC-10 freighter program in December 2000. It is now well documented that during the pandemic, which we see no end even after 22 months, many airlines shifted their focus to flying freight to make up for lost passenger revenue. But no airline has adopted cargo-only passenger flights as successfully as United Airlines. The focus on cargo paid off with record cargo revenues, and United is on track to top two billion U.S. dollars in cargo revenue this year. A lot of the credit to the United's success goes to the cargo team under the leadership of Ian Krems, president of cargo at United Airlines. With ongoing chaos in global supply chains and the likely scenario of more goods moving by air. In the future, the chances of carriers like United Airlines holding on to cargo revenue even after the pandemic subsides is very high. Yan Krems joins me in this episode of Cargo Masterminds, presented by Cargo One, to discuss the exciting but challenging time he had at United Cargo and what lies ahead for United in the cargo business. Yan, welcome to Cargo Masterminds. Thanks for finding time to talk to us from the beautiful small town of Beniza in Spain. Reggie, thanks for having me as always, and I'm very happy to talk to you. And um, what I said before, you're very welcome to come to Spain, and it's it's really nice here. I will I will make an attempt to come to Spain uh, sometime when I am allowed to travel. Yan, uh, uh, let's begin with the financial numbers first announced for the third quarter, ending 30 September 2021. Revenues of 519 million million dollars uh, for the quarter, 1.6 billion consolidated cargo revenue for the nine months ended September 30, an increase of uh, 49% compared to the same period in 2020 and. An increase of 88% from uh, 863 million dollars uh, in the pre-pandemic period of 2019. What are the factors that you like to pick as reasons for such performance uh, under very challenging circumstances? First of all, yeah, those are very impressive numbers, and uh, it will even be better at a certain stage. But what was important in March last year, when the borders were closed, when we were not allowed to fly passenger flights anymore. And we got a lot of requests, starting with China, to have freighter flights. Where at least, at least they were looking for customers were looking for capacity to see if we could do something. And we said, okay, we have the white bodies, and why don't we convert them, or we don't convert them, but use them for freighter-only flights. So we came with a team together, and that's the fun also within cargo, within United. We have a lot of people who understand freighters, who understand what is what it means to fly a, a flight as a freighter. But you need also the support for all the other units within United, like a airport operations, flight operations, network, whatever. And you need at least the top, 
that say, yes, we think it's a good idea if you would also start flying freighter-only flights. Now, we had discussions, we came together with the teams and also with uh, the other teams within United. And I think it was on the 19th of March that we flew our first freighter-only flight and, and, and then it started. And people really thought it was nice, customers thought it was nice as a start. We could help, especially with the, the PPEs or whatever medical equipment we needed from, from Asia into the US. We started there. And, and, and also could support the normal business that we had with, with, with our customers in a normal uh, in a normal world pre-COVID. So that I think was uh, was the right thing, uh, especially what I said the cooperation with all the other units, the right people with I always say the right cargo heart who understand what it is to fly freighters, and that's the way we started, and uh, it worked out uh, to be honest very well. Certainly impressive numbers because of uh, right cargo hearts and cargo people at United. Um, yeah, and uh, cargo revenue ton miles increased uh, 26% to 2.4 billion from 1.9 billion during the nine months of 2020. But it was almost flat compared to the 2.4 billion uh, in 2019. Do you expect this figure to change in the coming quarters? If you only look at revenue itself, it will change in quarter four. If you talk about two billion, we will uh, we will get over the two billion in uh, in 2021. If you look at really cargo ton miles or cargo revenue ton miles, it has to see what kind of capacity we can put in and how we look at it. And what you said about that figure, the 2.4 billion, I think it will stay a bit steady at the moment to see what's happening. But we also have to see if you get more capacity in, you get more ton miles in, or you can put more ton miles on the, or more cargo on these ton miles or whatever you, you look at it. And again, if we look at, for example, the 777-200s, the Pratt & Whitney's, there's still 52 planes that are out of business because of, uh, of the, the issue we had with the engine. Then there's still eight planes, uh, I think it's seven, eight, seven tens that would have been delivered in 21, they're not there. So if that all comes in, and then we still have to see how far the world is COVID-wise, can we use these as cargo planes, or do we have to put them into passenger planes or combine them as we normally do? And then we can see how we can bring those cargo ton miles or cargo revenue ton miles up to, uh, to the next level. But in principle, if I look at 22 compared to 19, I see a 4% increase at the moment there. And then uh, 20 and 19, Oh, sorry, 20 and 21 were a bit lower. $2 billion uh, from cargo for 2021. Uh, can we confirm that is, that's already achieved? Yes. I mean, it will be more than that. And, uh, and I think really being, um, what is it, the 7th of December. No, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, to be, and again, I always say, we will not save the company, but if we can give enough contribution and do the right thing and get the support to fly these freighter-only flights next to the flights, that we have, of course, on the passenger side, all these wide bodies. And that's the strength also for United Cargo, that we can fill these easily with cargo because of our partnerships that we have. And if we then start building on a wide body with passengers, maybe 25 to 30 to start with, but growing that, if you have the base of cargo already, let's say 35 tons on a wide body, depends on the stretch, of course. I think that's a good start. And uh, yes, we did well. And uh, we never expected to have this kind of revenue, but. Uh, yeah, we're very happy with that. 2021 is a very good year for United Cargo. Yeah, and uh, COVID, the pandemic is still around. There are, there are variants, uh, there are knee-jerk reactions from governments in terms of controlling 
borders are not allowing easy movement of passenger flights. Uh, interestingly, transatlantic travel connecting the US with the UK, Europe opened in early November. What is the level of momentum you see on volume and business on your network with additional frequencies and new routes? Yeah, so first of all, when the US opened, I think it was November 8th or something like that uh, for Europe. That's right. Now you see a big boost of passengers coming in. Then we also need to open up certain lanes to keep our slots. That's something that's very important that you cannot just walk away in and out of a country but say, I now reduce my flights or whatever. So we have to maintain that. So that helps. I mean, not all the flights and not all the destinations that you fly to are very good for uh, cargo, but that's also the fun of cargo. You can pipeline it with a trucking system in Europe. You can do the same in the US while you play to make sure that you fill the flights that you have. But we saw an increase, of course, on the passenger side, uh, a dramatic increase, especially the first two or three weeks, because so many people were waiting to finally get over there. Uh, I think it slowed down a bit, but that's still pretty okay. Although we don't know what's happening with the new variant of COVID, what kind of countries are closed, uh, what kind of uh, tests you have to do, what are really the criteria to get into countries like that. But there it started very well. We really go. I mean, I think we at a certain stage fly, I think today about 22 flights only to London Heathrow from the US. I mean, and that's that's also, we pipeline cargo from mainland Europe into the UK to make sure we do the connections the same we do from the US into the UK, into other places. And that's the game we play a bit with the destinations that are opening up. Again, Asia still sadly not open up. Some places are opening up. We can still do freighter only flights, not always as many as we want, not always as easy as we want, because sometimes because of all the restrictions, you need to have those tech stops that you have to do a crew stop. Then you change that crew there so they can go in and out. Otherwise you have to put them in quarantine for a while. That's not always helping, but slowly we will get back on the international side. Domestic, we do very well. I mean, we, um, I think we have about 4,000 flights per day, uh, pretty full. I think we are back uh, to pre, uh, pre-COVID levels there. Also, we have a lot of wide bodies uh, within the US that we can use. We can use it from Asia to connect uh, to the East Coast or from Europe to connect to the West Coast. So that's also growing much, much more. And also there's a lot of internal US cargo, if it's e-commerce, if it's USPS mail, or other things that that we do. So also there, you see a growth. And uh, but again, yes, slowly we're getting there. Again, I would love to see Asia opening up because that really would uh, would make uh, a big of a difference. Jan, you have uh, a substantial number of years experience in the freight, and you said you acknowledge uh, the wonderful uh, experienced team that you have in the cargo division in the United. Uh, uh, this is my second interview in the last 20, 20 months. Uh, I believe your strategies, cargo strategies, change uh, quite often, quite quickly because of the very rapid uh, change that takes place in the outside uh, outside world because of the COVID. Uh, how easy or tough was to make such decisions uh, when it comes to cargo strategy, sales, uh, when you look back in the last uh, 20, 22 months? Yeah, so first of all, our strategy is not changing that fast or that often. The only thing what we had to change is be very quick to market, very quick to see how we could operate those freighter-only flights in the markets that were needed. What we said, we have a couple of, we call them the friendly partners that we have, forwarders that we want to work with. They work with us when they 
when we needed them or on the other way they needed us and those are the partnerships that grew over the years so we said also we cannot work with everybody we can only work with a couple of friends who really work for us long term and that's what we did so we work with certain customers we work with certain products we are very strong on added value we're very strong on the pharmaceuticals not only during the pandemic but we started to grow with with pharmaceuticals already years ago we did vaccinations or vaccines already for years we have a very strong team that knows the pharmaceutical market but the whole temp control industry they know very well so that's where so the strategy there focusing on added value um, products, focusing on certain customers, not on all customers, focusing on certain markets, focusing on two-way um, uh, street, two-way streams, not only one way, but we made more global deals. That's the way we work and we still work. And that's, uh, that's working very well. The only thing what we really had to do is make sure we try to get as much as capacity as fast as possible into the market. And that's something that really changed because we never had uh, the opportunity to have freighters. We have freighters ourselves uh, that we lease. If, for example, we have an APA freighter that flies for the mail to Micronesia, we have some other leased contracts that we have. But no, we said we have the capacity that we have, and that's the way we're going to move forward. Also, if you talk about the capacity, I could sell so much more capacity if I took all the lease or all the freighters that were given to me at a certain stage that I could lease. But with a limited amount of people that we have, with a limited amount of, of capacity, limited amount of, of handling opportunities, I can do more and more, but at the end, it will not help me in, in, in giving the right quality to our customers. If I take another four or five, 747 or triple seven, 300 freighters, put them into the market, I only add more complexity. So I said, let's work with the with the network that we have for United. We lease here and there some uh, capacity. We interline a lot, especially in areas that we need to do to feed our network. And then we start working on that. And that worked out pretty well over the last, uh, let's say, 20, 22 months. But it did not change that much from before COVID. Can you tell us uh, how many cargo-only passenger flights have you done so far, 2020 and 2021 so far? How many of your wide-body aircraft are still flying cargo-only passenger flights? Uh, and do you intend to fly them if the Federal Aviation Authority extends the deadline into the first half of next year? Yeah. So the first question is, how many did we fly? To be honest, I think, to be exact, but I think it's around 14,000 freighter-only flights that we flew since March 19 last year. We still fly, at a certain stage, we flew an average of 40 freighter-only flights a day. That was brought down when, 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 when uh, yeah, countries opened up. Uh, we still have a lot of cargo on these flights. What I said, the 22 flights to London, for example, they all, I mean, there's cargo on all these 22 flights, uh, both sides, but freighter-only flights went down. We still fly them to certain destinations, but it's not the booming as it was before. It depends how what is happening with the, the world, how it's opening up. I mean, are we start? Do we start flying in China with passengers? Do we start flying Japan with passengers the way we did before? Then yes, we contribute as cargo, um, but we have to see how that that works out. Are we going to fly freighters or freighter-only flights in the new year? Also depends again what's happening. I said before we still have 52 triple seven two hundreds that are still checked at the moment because of the incident 
that happened last year. I think they were coming back at the beginning of 22. And then the question is, do we use them as freighter only flights or do we use them in the network for passengers that we add with cargo or there will be a mix of that? So yes, I still think what I see now again with the new variant that we will keep doing the freighter only flights because it's also good to have the freighter only flights. It keeps your uh, pilots current. It keeps the, the, the flights uh, current uh, on checks and whatever. Uh, it keeps uh, the network going. So uh, it's only good to do that. And the moment we can shift to full-fledged passenger with cargo again, yeah, then, uh, then we are there. Jan, what are your thoughts on the current demand supply mismatch and the impact it has on the on the freight rate? And I will combine the next question also. How did it actually affect your relationship with your uh, long-term customers? At the moment, you can make a lot of money if you just have your capacity, you go into the market, and you can make a fortune. What we said as United at a certain stage was, we can do that, but then also we jeopardize our relationship with the partners that we have. So yes, also in 19, or sorry, in 20 and 21, we could have made more money by just put the contracts off or stop the contracts or when they're finished, only go on the free with the capacity on the free market. We could have made more money. We said we don't want to do that. We want to keep the, the relationship with the partners that we have. So at least 60, 70% of the fleet will stay as long-term contracts while we still could make more money on the free market, we don't want to do that. Yes, we will keep always, let's say, 30% there to make sure we play that game, but we want to keep that relationship going in good and bad times. And yes, you could have asked much more. I don't say that long-term contracts are not changing uh, the rates. Of course, that, that will happen, but I will not take contracts off by, I could sell it to whoever. I also have a lot of new friends. They come in, they say, oh, Jan, we never... Or we worked a long time ago, uh, let's, let's start working together. I said, no, I cannot do that. You were not there when I needed you. Now I have the friends that I have and work with today, and this is the way we're going to continue. So yes, we will go for long-term contract. Yes, you see crazy rates going out. I mean, if you see the mismatch, what is happening on the sea freight and the air freight, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, an example, we flew a charter of mayonnaise I mean, think about it. We flew a charter, two charters of dog food. I mean, whoever think that you would fly dog food on a plane or mayonnaise. I mean, that's how crazy it is. But we have to be careful. We have to be realistic to see what we do, how we play with our customers, how we play long term. And then uh, that is that's crazy enough. But we are not here for the short term. We're here for the long term. You know, there is a lot of mess and disruption in the ocean freight with container shortages, abrupt port closures on account of COVID infections, congestion around ports on the U.S. West Coast. Uh, do you see uh, some sort of a model shift in terms of from ocean freight uh, coming into air freight? Uh, are you getting benefited because of this? Totally agree. And this question is what I said also. I mean, what I said, mayonnaise would never go on a plane. Dog food will never go on the plane. We get a request, I think, three days ago of 800 tons of Bacardi. I mean, in principle, that will not go on plane. So you see a shift from sea freight to air freight, and I think that will stick you know, for sure in the first six months of 22. That will, that, will, that will be ongoing, and then slowly that will be going back, I think, to normal. But it will take at least, maybe it takes the whole 22 to get, to, to get, to get back to normal. But, I mean, it's a short-term model shift because 
I mean, there's so much business and there's not enough capacity, sea and air. And at a certain stage, I mean, there's still 1,600 wide bodies parked in the world. I mean, at the moment that capacity comes in, that helps a bit the total capacity uh, crunch that, that is happening at the moment. But again, it's not there. And again, uh, the COVID story, uh, the third variant or whatever we call this, is, 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 is there. And then you see still not all these wide bodies coming out. So still you see pressure on the wide bodies that are there, that are flying. So yes, I see a model shift, but I think that's just temporary till, uh, till we are ever back to a normal, uh, to a normal world. Jan, uh, let's discuss some of your important commodity verticals uh, and let's start with e-commerce, which in general across geographies are growing in double digits and this gives rise to a lot of cross-border cargo movement by air for e-commerce companies. Uh, how are you planning to take advantage of this rapidly growing segment? Yeah, so we work with the big e-commerce companies. We do that very well. We do that already for a long time. We also did it before COVID, so we know where we work. Yes, we could do much more if we would have had much more capacity. Again, be, be, be clever and normal. Yes, we see where the growth is. We stick to the customers who are our e-commerce customers also before. And that's where we work with also for the, and if it's domestic or internationally, but also for the long run, that's what we're going to do. And again, yes, I could maybe make, make more money if I put everything e-commerce on, no, we just take one part of the organization or one part of the fleet is, is dedicated for e-commerce or dedicated for, for the mail, is dedicated for, for other products. But again, we have to look at the, the bigger picture with the customers that we have next to this. So yes, we know, yes, we see it. Yes, we also gain from it. But again, let's do it in um, step by step. The next commodity is uh, pharma temperature controlled uh, cargo, which you actually did make a mention about it. And uh, this is something that brings in uh, very high yield. Uh, however, the quality and reliability of service offered will make the difference for any airline to be successful here. How are you building your pharma vertical capability so that you become a preferred cargo airline for such an important commodity? First of all, high yield doesn't mean you make more money. Yeah? So the cost could also be very high and your margins will be thinner. But yes, we are a preferred carrier for temp control or for the pharmaceutical industry. We have a whole team that is dedicated to that. We know with our forwarders and the pharmaceutical industry how we work. We were the first to ship the vaccines for Pfizer. We are the ones who did the last uh, six weeks all the vaccines for the children. We are the first who sent yesterday the first pills that Pfizer is making. We, we sent the J&Js, we sent uh, all the other ones that, that, that we're doing. Uh, so we are very close to that community. I always said, if you really want to have grip on your customers, you have to go to a mix of your products. We at least say 50, 60% should be added value. For me, uh, temperature control or pharmaceuticals are uh, added value business. Build the right infrastructures in your main hubs. Make sure you have the right temp, uh, temp control facilities. You make sure you have the right infrastructure. You make sure you have the right infrastructure on board with your handling companies, but also within your own organization with the people that you have. And I think we have one guy called Manu Jacobs. He's an expert on the pharmaceutical side. Knows every pharmaceutical company in the world. And together with our forwarding community, we, we, we make that work. And that's, that's, that's something 
we yeah we are proud of we do very well there that's why i also said in the beginning i don't want to grow too much and get all that capacity in while still you have to do the same thing with the same amount of people that you have what we have is nice give it the right quality make sure that that we do that the right way and then we should keep growing into the way we are and then we grow to the 60 percent added value business and the 40 percent general business or whatever and then we have the right mix to go uh, yeah, a step further into the future. Yeah, and let's talk about digital strategy and transformation. And these are ongoing processes that keep evolving to meet the challenges. Uh, what are some of your priorities to have a robust uh, digital infrastructure to your cargo business? Yeah, I think digitization is very important and everybody talks about it. And especially, I think during the pandemic, it even was necessary to make a step faster. I think we were a bit behind, so we really had to make those steps. Uh, again, requests from our customers came to make sure that that we are closer, we can connect much better. Uh, these things we do. The thing is, again, with the limited resource that we had, we had to find out with the core system that we have, how can we grow and how can we do certain things? Now, that's what we did. We look at, we started a new website. That's good. We look at how do we connect with APAs, uh, APIs, uh, electronic error bills we're looking at. There are many things that we look at to make sure that it helps us to make the process smoother than it was. And I can tell you that we had a plan that would work into the next three to four years, but we had to accelerate over the last year, year and a half. There's one thing that I want to say, still this industry is 60 or 70% people business if you like somebody you have the right quality that's the way you connect so the whole uh, di digitization issue yes make sure that your processes are, are better that your um, linking with your customers is going faster that all these things are organized that make sure and don't forget that it's still an organization or an industry that depends very much on uh, on personal touch yeah, and once upon a time, um, you worked with a, an airline that had more than 25 freighters. Uh, do you think freighters will play a critical role to global air freight industry even after the full belly capacity comes into play with the return of full wide body long haul passenger services? Yes, I totally believe that freighters will play a role. The only thing is you have to also um, see, I mean, in, in what scale do we talk? I mean, I think if you see what's on on the sea at the moment in containers that could fill 80,000 or 84,000 uh, freighters, let's say 747s or 777s. If you know that in the world are maybe not even more than 500 of these freighters there. So yes, it will always play a role also with different commodities, different ways of cargo. So yes, it will be. Next to what I said, the 1600 whiteboards that are coming in will help, but it's still a drop on the total the total uh, yeah, logistics uh, world, what we have to do. So yes, it is very important. Yes, I worked in a, uh, in a in a company that we had, I think it was even 28 freighters. Also when in 2008, the world fell, uh, fell apart. Um, yes, uh, it will play a role, but I'm happy with where we are today. And if we would go for freighters ourselves, I had my interview seven and a half years ago and they asked me Jan do you want to have freighters I said maybe I don't want to own freighters but I like to have access to freighters with the partners that we have if it's ANA or is Lufthansa or others we have an APA freighter we have other 
traders that we lease, what I said interline wise, I think that's wise to just say, give me a freighter that flies from LA to PVG every time. If I'm already full on the whole network around it, if I see how expensive those freighters are, to really make margins on that, I spoke to a couple of my forwarding friends this week and they said, Jan, if you really want to make freighters profitable, you have to understand the total, the total way of working with it linked to your total network and then see how, how you can really do it. Yes, I would love to have freighter here and there or access to freighter capacity but again with the freighter only flights that maybe will move to normal wide bodies but then the fleet that we have in united brilliant fleet a brilliant network then with the partnership that we have i think we're okay and then yes we will use an apa here or we use somewhere somebody else there or we have access to freighter capacity with our with our partners i think that will be for us um, the way moving forward one thing before the end of 2019 I can give you five freighter airlines that were almost bankrupt. So if there was no COVID, they would have been gone. So it's nice because if you don't make money today, I don't know how people would ever make money, but be careful because times can change again. And um, I know that after 35 years that are good and bad times. So uh, yeah, and there has been so much also going on in the freighter market, particularly from the passenger to freighter conversion. Even in the production freighter uh, uh, programs, uh, there are several innovative solutions uh, and additional assembly lines are being installed to make more converted freighters available in the market. There are new freighters announced uh, from Airbus uh, and expected to have another freighter um, option from, uh, from Boeing 777X. Uh, what are you reading from what is going on right now? There are ocean freight companies, uh, ocean liners, uh, starting new cargo airlines, uh, ordering new aeroplanes the, for the freighters? Yeah, first of all, if you want to convert one, it takes a long time to do it. If I would love to, I would, let's say, convert a 777-200, for example, I think it takes 14 months before I'm, I have that converted. Yes, you see the conversion. You see a lot of people who, who have dollar signs in their eyes and they think, now we need freighters because that is the market. That's the way moving forward. First of all, you need to understand what it is to run a freighter airline, how to deal with it, how to deal with the customers, how to deal with the different markets, how to deal with the network, and then really understand how do you do that long-term? Yes, what I said today, I mean, everybody can, can make money because, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 if, you, if you can ship mayonnaise, then yeah, I mean, I think everybody can make some money. But at a certain stage, the market will change. And, and, and that's why I say, be very careful. And you see all these companies going, I have the discussion daily almost with, with, with my boss or with the team. Is it wise? Yes. On certain lanes, short term, yes. I don't want to be involved, let's say, for the next five years. If I can have something for six months or I do it for nine months or year, yes, it's good. How do we play that game? Yes. What is wise? On what lanes? What products? Whatever. Yes. But be very careful that if you go too fast and you be too, uh, you want to make too eager to make money, then uh, things can go wrong. And I know. Uh, if markets drop, how tough it is to make money on these very, very, very expensive assets. My last question is on uh, on sustainability, and we have news coming in United also flying uh, using sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, as uh, cargo business is so significant to uh, to United Airlines? Uh, what are your thoughts on the sustainability in air cargo? Yeah, I think it is important. The whole sustainability discussion is on top of everybody, I think. The way, how can we make sure that we live and work in a cleaner world? I mean, our CEO 
Scott Kirby. I mean, he preaches sustainability the way we do it. I think we were the first airline last week to really fly on a totally full, we call it sustainable flight. I mean, that's brilliant. The way we talk to our customers about it, to really see to make sure that they understand what are we doing, how can we support, and not only marketing stories and marketing talks, but really talk about what can we do to really make sure that we work for a better future. And I think within United, and not only within United in general, but also the cargo part as part of United, really tries to do everything to make sure that we work for a better future, a more sustainable future, but as, especially not only talk, but really do something about it. Yeah, and as always, uh, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. And it's always a pleasure. And uh, I hope to see you in India in, uh, in, in February for sure. That was Ian Krems, a president of Cargo at United Airlines. That's it from us at Stat Media Group. We bring Cargo Masterminds every Monday. Thanks for tuning in and come back on next Monday for a fresh episode. Have a nice day.